Welcome to Rail Group On Air, a joint podcast of Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Our podcast sponsor is the Greenbrier Companies, which offers an innovative way for rail car customers to inspect build quality, virtual sample rail car, which remotely brings you into the Greenbrier plant from the convenience of your own conference room or home office. Virtual Sample Rail Car, or VSR, provides full access to a sample rail car while significantly reducing travel time and cost. It gives all the information needed to determine that your rail cars meet all specifications and will be delivered as ordered. Narrated high-resolution video follows the complete build of your sample rail car with tools like high-resolution photos and 360-degree views, concluding with a live stream inspection from the plant's buy-off area. A process that normally takes three or more days is reduced to just one hour. Check out VSR, winner of the Canadian Association of Railway Suppliers 2020 Innovation Award at go.gbrx.com forward slash virtual. My guests for this edition of Rail Group on Air are Kansas City Southern President and CEO Pat Ottensmeyer and CN President and CEO J.J. Ruest. And they are here to talk about their pending merger. Pat and JJ, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, it's been a uh, very busy month for uh, uh, for both of you, for CN and uh, Kansas City Southern. So um, appreciate you joining us to uh, to talk about this uh, this merger. So there's been a lot of uh, activity around the uh, the voting trust. Now, how confident are you that the Surface Transportation Board will approve the new voting trust, which has been uh, jointly filed instead of the, the, um, the initial voting trust application, as most people probably already know, is strictly filed by CN. Yeah, so thank you, Bill, for again, for having us today, Pat and I. It's always a pleasure to uh, spend some time with you and as well as interact with all of your readers and the people who follow what you do. Um, the voting trust of CN is, uh, you know, it's nothing more than a plain vanilla voting trust. It's uh, similar to the voting trust that was filed by the other uh, other, other bidder. It has the same trustee, uh, Dave Starling. It's, it's in our view, we, we made it purposely to be the same so that, uh, you know, when the regulator look at it, uh, they see that, uh, you know, it would provide the same protection for, um, for KCS while KCS is on trust and same protection for the Customers, while the KCS uh, still compete with CN, but at the same time, uh, you know, is waiting for a decision of this STB uh, decision, positive mm-hmm. or negative, and obviously uh, with condition, you know, we're sure. So we're, we're, we are confident that we will get the voting trust. Uh, we don't assume, though, that uh, it's, you know, that uh, it's, it's a done deal. So every question that the STB has for us, we take it very seriously. We provide them the information that they need. But a voting trust that we file, is the same plain vanilla voting trust and uh, the other better put in and by the same trustee. And uh, in our view, uh, we, we will get it approved. We don't take these things very uh, lightly. Huh? I mean, neither CNSC or KCS uh, board and management when we decided to go together and propose this combination, we understood clearly uh, w- what we were in for. 
So, you know, we don't get in these things uh, thinking that uh, it may or may not work. We have a high level of confidence that we made everything we can to be sure that we make it, um, uh, you know, to make it, to meet the need of the STB uh, in those proceedings. So we are confident and um, we don't do these things lightly. The capital allocation policy that, uh, that KCS had established and articulated to Wall Street and rating agencies and, and everyone else uh, that was approved by our board uh, actually back in December or uh, November of, of 2020 is actually built into the merger agreement between between us and CN that uh, that that capital allocation policy will be maintained uh, during the trust period. So that uh, I think provides a little extra dose of uh, of, of confidence that uh, capital investment uh, strategy for KCS while we're in trust will be identical to what we had articulated and approved by our board as an independent company last year. So I think the uh, uh, gets to the point that uh, JJ mentioned about uh, assuring the financial viability and, uh, and independence of KCS while we're in trust, our capital expenditure policy, the percentage of cash flow that will be dedicated to uh, capital expenditures is uh, is identical to what we had uh, approved as an independent company before this transaction was announced. So essentially, uh, that that addresses some of the concerns that have been raised uh, in general about voting trust. That it sort of restricts the uh, the company that's in trust from being able to proceed with with investment with growth. And you're saying that that's not impacted at all under, under this arrangement. Absolutely. So the uh, our ability to make capital expenditures going forward, as long as we're in trust, uh, the, the 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 flexibility, the magnitude of our capex uh, strategy will be will be unchanged from what we had uh, previously approved. And, and Bill, so that addressed the, the the need of the STB. I think that addressed the need of the customer who are depending on C on KCS to be served. But also from a CN's point of view, it's a good thing because while KCS is in trust, their value will keep on rising. They will continue to invest. They'll continue to gain business uh, in their territory. And by the time that this DSTB make its final decision, uh, you know, the company will actually be in even better shape and have an even better book of business mm -hmm. than what it has today. So I think uh, it just makes sense. But I think people, uh, you know, should see it from the positive. What it does is we don't control KCS. KCS already have a plan. They will roll out that plan, and actually, and actually uh, makes KCS even more attractive to see in two years from now than what it is today. Now, I'm going to try to avoid an ice cream analogy here, but can you please explain to me what does plain vanilla <laughs> actually mean? Frankly, I like plain vanilla. Uh, <laughs> So th does that mean that there's no hidden nuts or something or, or, you know? Oh, I think it just means it's as, as simple as can be so that uh, there's no trick uh, in this boarding trust. KCS is truly independent. Uh, we don't have, uh, we don't have, uh, we don't have ways to control what they might do or not do. As Pat said, before even CN showed up to the door, they had a plan already. They had a, a, a multi-year plan for what they want to do to their business, including their capital program and their free cash flow and that plan become part of the merger agreement plan. So they are, 
they are going to be executing what they were going to be executing without a merger till the STB decide that it's okay for the company to come out of trust and be combined with CN. So the idea here is not to complicate things. The idea is to keep them very simple so that the regulators and the customers can see it for what it is. So it's kind of like a smoothie, tasty, simple, uh, goes easy, easy to digest, plain and vanilla. And it stays fresh till the day that the STB <laughs> says that we can combine together. Okay. Well, that, I think, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for addressing that. I appreciate it. Um, so I, here's the tough question. Uh, if the voting trust is not approved, what are the next steps? Could you possibly proceed or would you uh, proceed with a merger, merger application without a voting trust? Yeah. So obviously, Bill, uh, our focus and our energy uh, from day one, which is from the day we decided that uh, we would put an offer together for the Board of KCS to, co to consider is, is to actually get things done, right? So I think in the rail industry, in general, we have a mindset about we're operator and we get things done. And that's definitely the way we approach things at CN. So what we're putting our effort is to get things done, to uh, obtain from the STB what uh, you know on the condition condition STB will allow, allow the uh, the voting trust and eventually obtain from the STB and all those who are intervening, uh, namely the customers and users of the freight network, to allow for the combination. That's where we have energy and focus. Uh, but we know that there's no guarantee in life, and if ever uh, one of these steps is uh, were turned down, namely on the voting trust, then we will have to we will have to sit down with KCS and I'm sure KCS will have their own discussion within themselves at their board. Uh, CN will have our own discussion within our board. There's already in the merger agreement uh, specific things that KCS has the right to do and CN has the obligation to do. But rather than speculate uh, what we specifically exactly we would do at that time, uh, you know, we, we'll, uh, we'll deal with these things when they come up. But uh, we're confident to get a voting trust. It's the same voting trust that was already approved and it's plain vanilla. The business plan of KCS in the meantime remained the same. I'm convinced KCS will be even more valuable two years from now than what it is today, especially with the economy the way we have in the future of USMCA and nearshoring and the thing that PAP have in this team have in terms of uh, cost control, asset utilization, all the things that we're talking about even before discussion and merger were in place. So. I think the future is bright for KCS no matter what. And I think the future for CN is also bright no matter what. But if you put these two companies together, you, you already have something. You already have something. I think that over time uh, may change, uh, you know, the industry in North America. Pat, your thoughts? JJ captured it very well. Um, we, uh, we think by going forward with the, the you know, if, if you prefer, Bill, the, the, the standard voting trust. Uh, the plain <laughs> I see vanilla, you have a cup in your hand. Is that coffee or ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> it's not ice cream. Okay. I save that for after three o'clock on a Friday. But uh, uh, no, just a, a standard voting trust that is, uh, there's, a, there's a, 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 you know, literally a hundred years of precedent for using that kind of standard voting trust that, uh, it covers uh, the, those requirements, the independence, the uh, 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 financial viability of both entities and, and uh, other public interest uh, issues. So we tried to keep it as simple and straightforward as, uh, as possible. I can't imagine that uh, we could have done anything to make this um, uh, uh, hopefully less uh, controversial, less objectionable. Uh, 
by the STB. So uh, we feel very confident that uh, that this will uh, meet their requirements and uh, and we'll we'll be able to get approval. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, overlap issue now, uh, JJ. From from the beginning uh, with with CN, uh, you've identified only one or uh, uh, overlap, and that is the uh, New Orleans to uh, and uh, excuse my French Baton Rouge uh, line, and uh, you've uh, uh, you've committed to divesting uh, that line. That's about seventy miles. Are you anticipating any other, not necessarily line divestitures, but are you anticipating any other conditions that might be imposed either, either that the STB identifies or that maybe some of the, uh, the other stakeholders in the industry, some of the other railroads might, uh, might identify as, as concerns? So the, the New Orleans to Baton Rouge is the only areas of overlap where you have customers who are going from two to one. And uh, we, uh, you're right, we did identify that right away from day one when we made the offer that we said publicly that we know that this scenario of two for one and we will pro- provide a good pragmatic solution to that. We felt compelled uh, when we did our uh, filing with the STB last week to actually bring in, I guess, what that would be the, the ultimate solution, which is we'll, we'll bid it out. You know, we'll do an auction at the right time, uh, subject to some feedback from the STB. And we will find another rail operator to step in the shoes of KCS to run to do what KCS was doing for those uh, for those shippers. So those customers will continue to have two choices. We're committed to that. We will make that happen, and uh, and we will make that happen by selling the railroad to another operator, good operator who will operate, uh, you know, post uh, post. I'm assuming here on, on the DSTB would want us to divest after. Uh, when after after KCS comes out of trust, but you know we'll let him uh, give us some guidance as to when is the right time. There is no other area where it's two for one, and after that you get into different views as to what we need to address in terms of competitors. So, so definitely, we need to be sure we will make we are making strong commitments from the very beginning. The gateway will remain open. As a commercial person, I've always believed open gateway is actually a way to get more business. It's a way to attract more business back to the railroad as opposed to drive it away from the railroad to your competitor or, to, or worse to the highway by making things more complicated than what they should. Remember the whole concept of riding protocol? What's the shortest distance from A to B? Uh, you know, often shortest distance from A to B is uh, your best route. Maybe not all the time because it may not be priced as your best route. Or, or maybe because of service, even though the, the distance is less, the service from the, one of the carriers is not that great. But you want the gateway to stay open and you want the, the, the customer, not the railroad, to decide how they want to route their freight. And obviously, we encourage them to use the, the routing protocol, the best route. But ultimately, it's for them to make that choice. The other thing is the bottleneck, right? It's not because you have a fantastic new single line uh, route like KCS and CN would have that uh, you will close other option. You know, so you don't create bottlenecks. So we will keep the gateway open. We will not get, but you know, we will not create bottleneck. We're coming into that too. And after that, you get into other uh, other items. Uh, you know, that uh, will be in discussion post uh, voting trust with uh, you know association, customer association, and users and shippers. To determine other area that it might need uh, that that might need uh, enhancement, but definitely, we would like to railroad for the large customer. 
we would like to railroad for the small customer as well. I think that's another area that uh, we will focus on is that uh, in, in what we're creating together here is, is we're creating a superior product. We're creating single line product in some cases. We're creating a product that does not take away choices product that recreate the two-for-one option in the New Orleans to Baton Rouge corridor, but also we'd like to create a product that eventually attract business back on the railroad from the highway, and maybe also from those who are smaller shipper, smaller uh, smaller customers. So these are all things that uh, ultimately is what really create the value for, for the merger. Uh, this is a merger based on growth. So we want to enable growth. We want to attract more freight. We don't want to make it difficult for the freight to come to uh, our combination. Pat, could you just give a, a, a snapshot of the uh, traffic base on that corridor? Uh, obviously, a lot of petrochemical customers. Uh, and from what we, we can tell, we've, uh, you know, we've had dialogue with those customers. And uh, I think based on the feedback that we've gotten so far and the, uh, the, the details that we've been able to share uh, and the CN has shared, uh, obviously CN knows those companies as well, uh, that uh, they, uh, uh, they uh, a lot more discussion and detail ultimately will happen over the course of the of the next uh, year and a half or two years. But uh, we we don't see any uh, indication that there will be uh, uh, difficulty satisfying those customers and and uh, giving them the assurance that they will have the options that they need and want. For, uh, for rail service uh, after this transaction is completed. I wanted to talk about uh, the, uh, the STB itself uh, a bit. Uh, in recent days, the, uh, they've been a bit vocal. Uh, the chairman in particular, Mr. Oberman, Marty Oberman, uh, is raising concerns about overall railroad service quality uh concerns some shippers now not specifically about this merger that hasn't been really talked about at all but but do you see that as having any significance uh for what the stb ultimately decides for either a, a voting trust or, or a merger or both you're talking bill about the letter that uh, mr oberman sent regarding uh, service and preparation for the fall and next year yes yeah. yes yeah, and there was also something that had to do with uh, some service issues around Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, the uh, there was some back and forth between the yeah. AAR and, uh, and it, yeah, it got a little testy. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I can uh, briefly start with uh, just on, on, on Memphis. Uh, my understanding is that the, the biggest part of the challenge is the, uh, on the container side. So containers coming into Memphis from uh, both coasts, maybe. And also the supply of empty container. Uh, it basically has to do with uh, the tsunami of freight coming to North America because of COVID. So the ports are very busy and the ports are a little backlogged. The ocean shipping uh, line are even more busy and they also are backlogged. So therefore, there's uh, because of the extended cycle of uh, container, say between Asia and North America, there's a shortage because if you extend the cycle, you have a shortage of container. And when all these content, they finally come in, and right now one of Balnick is Memphis, it's difficult for the terminals, the three terminals, the five terminals, all the terminals in Memphis to deal with that. And, and then there's also a short of empty container and the empty ocean container and tight supply because your shipping line right now would rather have them go back, expedited, empty back to Asia 
because there's a lot of import in Asia waiting to come in. So I think it's just all, uh, it, it has to do, it's way beyond the rail network, uh, the challenge of container. It has to do with spring of last year, the trade almost stopped. We, we stopped importing product, but we, we did not realize people kept consuming. And then warehouse in North America got quite low. And then people, disposable income, people, you and I didn't get to do a, a European trip. <clears throat> we stayed home and we consume even more uh, product. Actually, that disposable income went to imports. So since then, the ocean shipping line having running at record level, the ports are very busy and the railroads are also busy bringing the product to the interland. And when the container go back, the, those who export are struggling getting container capacity because the ocean shipping line would rather expedite the container, empty back to Shanghai, reload them with load, as opposed to take an export and triangulate and the time it takes to triangulate. So eventually these things will get sorted out. Ocean shipping line are buying ship. Uh, lots of ship being built, order being built on uh, for the Chinese and the Korean to build, but that's that these are 18 to 24 months in delivery. And if you're a natural company in North America and you try to place an order to buy a container, 53 foot container in China right now, you have to get at the end of a queue because they are going to be busy also for quite a number of quarters. So I, I think eventually these things get resolved by a lot of capital investment, uh, ocean shipping line containers. And also post COVID, we'll see how, how the consumers spend his money, how much of that goes back to um, you know, traveling in restaurant and how much freight is generated from that versus uh, doing home renovation and, uh, and, and the likes, right? So in terms of the rail service, I think at CNKCS, we do a pretty good job right now. Uh, we're very focused to what Mr. Uberman is asking us to focus is to be ready for the fall peak. In the fall, there's more grain, there's more industrial activities, there's more, uh, there's more back, to, back to school uh, type uh, consumable and there will be a back to school this year all over uh, at least United States and Canada. So there will be demand uh, that would be met and product coming from container. And we're hiring people, training people. I can't speak for KCS, but in the case of CN, we've been uh, recruiting and hiring since last fall. And we have regular training class to be sure that we have the, the crews qualified to meet the expected demand for the second half of 2021 and all of what 2022 has to offer. And uh, uh, JJ just wanted to mention that uh, the uh, the grain movements on the CN and also on also on on the CP uh, the Canadian grain movements actually maintained uh, their record levels that didn't let up. Yeah, grain has been fantastic. We had fourteen months of record tonnage, and right now, uh, between right now and the next crop. Uh, this fall, we won't be able to do record tonnage because a lot of the grain's been sold, right? So the inventory has been widely, quite a bit depleted. So there's not as much uh, trade right now than there was uh, during these 14 months. But we are equipped to do even more uh, other record this fall when the grain become available again. So, Pat, your your thoughts on uh, uh, the the world, really, the world economy, uh, recovering or coming out of this, uh, out of the pandemic? Well, I, I think uh, as we look at the economy uh, across, you know, sort of the planning horizon here, um, we see a lot of reason to be optimistic, a lot of growth, uh, not only looking at sort of the macro uh, statistics, uh, 
but talking to our customers, I, I, you know, I, I would imagine that this is the the same for CN. Uh, maybe not, but uh, you know, if we look at our customer base and the way we do our planning, our top 200 customers really represent a a very large majority of our total volume and revenue. So that gives us uh, pretty good visibility, I think. Uh, We've learned over the years that, uh, you know, our customers can be wrong, just as we can, about uh, predict, uh, predictions for the future. But uh, all that to say, we think the near-term outlook is, uh, is very positive for our customer base and the commodities and the business that, uh, that we're handling. Uh, and we're certainly, you know, trying to stay ahead of that. The, uh, the nature of the capital and resource commitments and investments that we make in this industry. As Dave Starling used to say, you can't pull capacity out of your pocket. Uh, so we have to plan two, three, five years ahead. Best example, look at the, uh, the uh, announcement for the second span of the International Bridge at Laredo, Texas. Uh, we've got the permit on the U.S. side. We're working on the permit on the Mexican side. That's going to be a huge uh, 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 a, a huge uh, project in terms of being able to handle and facilitate cross-border growth for decades ahead into the future. So uh, that's something that we uh, are hopeful that we can do in the next couple of years. Uh, again, based on the demand forecasts that we see, in addition to the short term, you know, which I talked about in terms of just uh, feedback from customers and kind of macroeconomic uh, data that would give us some indication of what to expect uh, longer term. You know, Bill, you and I have talked about this a lot previously, but you know, you've got this, uh, which actually speaks to the, the 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 wisdom and the logic of this combination. Longer term, you've got uh, certainty in the trade relationship between Canada, U.S., and Mexico. USMCA is coming up on its one-year anniversary. You've got a lot of uh, uh, evidence, and, and I think it's, it's, it's true, it's real. Uh, supply chain leaders, manufacturing companies, they're, they're interested in de-risking global supply chains, bringing supply and manufacturing uh, materials, uh, all of that closer to end markets. So that's going to tie into manufacturing growth in North America, or it should. Uh, and then you've just got uh, the economic uh, outlook uh, to, to add on to that. Uh, the pandemic has taught a lot of lessons about the risks and consequences of extended global supply chains that I think uh, put all of that together in the short-term outlook and the longer-term outlook for North America uh, should be very positive. So, Again, look at the, the map of the, the network of this company uh, uh, after the merger, and it is extremely well positioned to not only uh, benefit from all of those trends, but to drive those trends. Um, the rail service, that uh, single line rail service that, uh, that this merger will offer, I think will be a contributing factor to driving economic growth in, in Mexico, U.S., and Canada. So not only will we benefit from all of those uh, trends, we will actually be in a position to hopefully drive some of those trends. So it's all very exciting. I mean, I, I think uh, uh, we're extremely excited about the opportunities that we see ahead. Uh, investing to get ahead of that 
And, uh, and, and back to, if I, if I might, I know I've gone on here for quite a while, but, uh, the, uh, the, the letter that we all received from Chairman Oberman, uh, you know, we've gotten these letters in the past. There's concern, uh, part of STB, obviously looking out for the interest of, of shippers about capacity. And there is no doubt that there is, uh, uh, um, supply chains are stressed. Um, there's a op-ed piece in yesterday's Wall Street Journal that you probably saw from uh, Peter Churchwell from the Journal of Commerce talking about, uh, you know, behind your long wait for packages. If you have bought uh, a Peloton or a refrigerator or are looking to build a home uh, in the last few months, you, you know um, uh, we're, we're running out of everything. And some of that is... Uh, driven by labor shortages at sawmills and, and plants that have been affected. So there's a, there's a shortage of some of the supply, some of the products because of the manufacturing uh, consequences of COVID and, and tightness in the labor market. Uh, but there's this also this massive shift of how consumers are spending their disposable income. As JJ mentioned, none of us have gone on international trips. So we have shifted you know, 180 degrees very quickly from experiences to things. That'll shift back as the economy opens up and people begin to travel and, and, and be more comfortable spending money on travel and entertainment and plays and theaters instead of buying things. Uh, there'll be a, a kind of a contributing factor there, but uh, the uh, uh, not, that, not to dismiss the... Um, uh, the current level of, of rail service and what we're hearing from our customers, but it is not just a KCS thing. It is not just a railroad thing. There is extremely tight uh, truck capacity. And obviously we've talked about the ocean uh, uh, liners and, and the, and the container capacity uh, supply chains are just really stressed right now. Uh, but we're taking it very seriously. We're bringing locomotives on our network. We, uh, uh, we're bringing people on uh, as, as quickly as we can in some areas of tightness to uh, to respond to this and be ready uh, to meet our our customers' expectations and to to fulfill the demand growth that we we know is out there. That uh, double tracking comprehensive the, uh, answer. Yes, <laughs> well, we appreciate comprehensive answers. Uh, just just okay. uh, uh, double tracking the uh, the Laredo Gateway uh, that'll make a huge difference because. Uh, you know, essentially, uh, you you know, you you have the uh, border pre-clearance facilities on either side, and uh, so trains are queued up. But you've got to wait. You know, you got a northbound uh, waiting for a southbound to clear, and uh, so it's it's uh, this will make things a whole lot more fluid. It it will, and you know, uh, we're doing a combination of things uh, to get improvement more quickly. Uh, working with uh, the uh, uh, federal, state, local uh, regulatory agencies, law enforcement. Uh, when we talk about changing the processes for how we move trains across the border, we need a big conference room to get everybody at the same table at the same time because there are a lot of interests on, uh, on both sides. But, you know, the good news is we've got really great engagement uh, including the, the, the other railroads that, uh, and specifically Union Pacific, they're working with us uh, very well uh, to, to try to uh, change the way we move trains across the border until we get that second bridge in. 
to to work uh, in, in, and modify the systems uh, that are required, whether it's uh, law enforcement, uh, uh, crews, uh, uh, tax authorities, uh, all of that uh, to make it more efficient for moving trains across the border so that we can stretch the capacity that we have and then eventually uh, build the second bridge, which will really satisfy our, our growth outlook for decades to come. Just uh, getting back uh, to, the, to the regulatory uh, process, while the merger rules established by the uh, STB about 20 years ago apply in this case, and as we know, the Kansas City Southern will not receive uh, an exemption, uh, do you see that as a positive, even if it means that the merger application could be more heavily scrutinized and perhaps maybe take a little bit longer to, uh, to approve? As, as you know, Bill, uh, we've actually signed up for the new merger rule. When we made the proposal, uh, our first filing with the STB, we actually suggested and asked that our proposal be looked at as a transaction of two big class one under the new current rule. Uh, and then the, when the STB, uh, you know, feedback and they said that they will look at our transaction under the current rule. So we, we, that's what we ask and uh, the, the STB is, is, uh, is seen the same way. It's a major transaction, uh, but, you know, and therefore we will have to maintain and, and enhance competition. And uh, we're, we are prepared to do that. We have plans to do that and we're committed to do that. Our merger though is an end-to-end merger. It really is. Uh, we do not have over an overlap. The overlap that we had between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, we actually have proposed very specifically to divest of uh, the overlap and put another railroad uh, in the shoes of KCS. So uh, with, the, with the divestiture of the two-for-one segment, it is truly now an end-to-end merger. Under the new rule, you know, you've been expected, and rightly so, to enhance competition. And I'll give you some example of how we do that. We will create new service, single-line service, where they don't exist today. So I'll call this, say, the green intermodal service that would run from uh, Mexico City to Toronto, which is basically, first and foremost, aim at converting long-haul truck. I mean, the distance here are huge. If you look at, uh, if you go on the website and you, you, you Google what's the driving distance between Mexico City and Toronto, it's 2,600 driving mile. I mean, it's like driving from coast to coast in the United States. Just it's, it's, it's the longest animal service that you can find in North America. So should we be able to, to be successful and succeed in competing with truck option in these kind of distance? I would think so. Uh, but it does to do with what Pat was talking about, putting the right infrastructure, for example, how you cross the border at Laredo and that bridge, and also provide a product which is single line you know, where the KCSM as part of CN has an integrated plan with CN, you get on KCS, you get to, you have a, the Meriden Speedway is in great shape as a railroad for intermodal. I see there's a lot of intermodal train today. When you get to Jackson, Mississippi, you go up on the CN network and that main line of CN that follow Mississippi is in great shape. You see there's a lot of intermodal product today. Our line from, from Chicago to Detroit, Toronto is also in great shape. It sees a lot of antimodal product today and we own it. So when you, when, when you run it as one, one operator, one game plan, one blocking system, you can create, especially over these very long distance, 2,600 driving mile, as if you follow the highway, and we're going to be following the railroad, not the highway, but 
you should be able to compete and you should be able to make money at it and, uh, and address some of the deficiencies of the option of today's. So today, you, you, you run on KCS, you go to the border, you do a handoff to another railroad, we do another handoff in Chicago, and then you put a truck on the, on, truck on the road again for a fairly long haul. So, and that, and I think in today's environment, maybe not 20 years ago when those rules were put together, but in today's environment, the green impact, the green positive impact of that kind of service has to be viewed as creating public benefit. You know, the rail industry is four times more fuel efficient than truck. Uh, we also create jobs, though. I think what that means is over time, those who are entering the labor force and they're, you know, and they're 25 and 30 and 35, and maybe we're looking to join the, the transportation world, can join the transportation world as working as a locomotive engineer or conductor or transportation world as working in an automobile yard, running a crane or running operation. And yet, and so therefore get a job out of that, probably a better paying job, a job with better benefit. The railroad industry has good pension system uh, as opposed to be a, a long haul driver and be away from home seven, 10 days at a time. So we're gonna be creating jobs. Uh, we're gonna be eventually probably converting truck driver's jobs into you know, railroad related job, metamodal job much lower carbon footprint, moving white goods from Quebec City to greater Toronto, uh, moving, uh, moving things that have to do with auto sector, auto parts between St. Louis, Petuzzi and Detroit. And this flows in both ways of, uh, you know, between the Midwest and the, the Rust Belt and Mexico in terms of the two automotive sector feeding one another with parts, again, using the animal product and, and, and making it greener, more cost-effective, better service, uh, we, we talk quite a bit about the new, the, what we do on Antomoto, but there's a lot of the things we do also on carload. Um, I mean, KCS has done a great job of moving U.S. Midwest grain to Mexico. Uh, you know, U.S. Midwest has a lot of grain, a lot of open space, uh, namely for uh, yellow corn. And Mexico is a great population, uh, especially Mexico City. Half the people, I think, live in, the, in that big, big area. And uh, so you, you, you could actually increase the catchment area of KCS by adding the catchment area of CN on, on corn and soybean. We'd also love to add the catchment area of the Dakotas and uh, you know, stuff that uh, uh, should come to us or would want to come to us via the Kansas City interchange from uh, the CP rail, because our venture here is about keeping the gateway open and taking freight where freight is this, there is grain on the KCS uh, franchise. There is grain on the CN franchise and Gateway will be open and we'd love to see some grain coming from uh, the other catchment area of the old uh, Sioux line. So enhancing competition is all about that. It's about creating more option for more shippers, having more people use the rail network, get people uh, off the highway because it's uh, a little more expensive. It has a higher carbon footprint. And it's increasingly difficult to get people to want to be long haul driver, uh, maybe more appealing to be working on the same space, but something that allows you to be home more often, working on a train or working on an automobile yard. And, and there's a lot to be said about uh, what the rail industry um, could become uh, if we find a way to make this a win-win uh, with some help and understanding from the STB when they look at the total, total picture or what we do to create public benefit without, uh, without uh, you know, suppressing competition, but it's kind of what we have today, plus what we create over and above that, how we improve the environment and how we help the economy in that north-south corridor, huge corridor, we said 2,600 miles, uh, 
driving mile between Mexico City and Toronto, so that the people who make product and consume product in these in these uh, area also get the public, you know, the economic benefit of a very solid, uh, very solid supply chain. And no country can really expand and deploy and, and, and strive without a very solid supply chain. And the beauty here, this is all private money. You know, it's basically investors' money who is looking to put infrastructure that otherwise might have to be put by, uh, you know, states and countries, which is the case for uh, when, when you have to rely only on uh, the highway system. And uh, the, uh, the border uh, crossing the northern part uh, going into Ontario, that is uh, your tunnel that is already cleared for stack trains. So that's right. You, you could it's run, a- you could theoretically, you could run a stack train from Mexico City all the way to Montreal. The tunnel is actually quite young. It's a, it's a very long tunnel. It's about two mile long. It goes under the St. Clair River. And it's, uh, the tunnel was built by Paul Tellier, so it probably only have 25 years. It does double stack uh, container, uh, including the high, high container. It also does, does any size of multi-level, including the Automax. And uh, it, it brings me maybe to talk about another of the new product, uh, new competition that we bring to the marketplace. So today, Kansas City is sort of stuck in terms of, uh, you know, it doesn't really have access to the Atlantic trade from, uh, on the East Coast. But we, 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 will, we will, in conjunction with a team of KCS, we will invest in the rail line of K- Kansas City to Springfield. And, uh, you know, it's already been upgraded. We'll upgrade it a little more. We will especially upgrade the CN line from Springfield to Gilman, which is how we connect to the KCS network on the north. And this way, you could actually create direct single line service from Detroit to Kansas City to move finished vehicle. You could also create a single line uh, direct service from the Port of Montreal to Kansas City for import and export coming back out. You know, Pat has got a great container terminal in Kansas City, which, uh, you know, if you want to, anybody in the greater Kansas City, whether it's uh, dry goods or frozen goods, wants to do trade with the Atlantic, uh, on the Atlantic side, we can make that happen via the Port of Montreal single line and using the tunnel you talked about the uh, the sarnia tunnel sarnia so tunnel. it goes from sarnia on the Canadian side to port huron on the michigan side so uh so pat uh, you'd mentioned um uh, the uh, as far as truck conversion the i-35 interstate 35 corridor it's basically uh, uh mexico uh to and from uh the upper midwest chicago detroit you know, I think the uh, probably the best example of freight that uh, moves in that corridor, both on rail and on truck, is auto parts, finished vehicles. Uh, but it's much bigger than that. It's it's a very large market. It would also include Minneapolis uh, on into Canada, Toronto. Uh, so actually, the uh, the map that you guys had in the article this morning. Um, was uh, was really a great visual to kind of you know think about that market. It is a very large truck market. It's also very very large rail market. We move a lot of those products, uh, auto parts coming down from the uh, assemb- the the, uh, the supplier uh, network in uh, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, uh, and even Canada uh, in Ontario going down into uh, Mexico to the assembly plants and then finished vehicles coming back. So 
that's a big part of our automotive and cross-border intermodal uh, today, uh, both uh, directly as well as with uh, with other interchange uh, railroad carriers, inter- interchange partners. But <clears throat> it is a huge truck market, and uh, and I think that's really uh, one of the, the the targets, the biggest opportunity that uh, that we see in uh, merger related synergies, the value of single line service. Because uh, to, to really go after and compete uh, for that market and offer customers, particularly premium automotive auto parts, again, just to kind of use that as the example, we're going to have to have a very consistent, reliable, uh, truck-like in terms of consistency and reliability. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll never be as fast as truck, but we don't have to be. You just have to be highly consistent and highly reliable. And that ties back into the benefits of single line service versus joint line service to, to really offer that type of consistent and reliable service requires uh, a, a common strategy, a common approach toward operating philosophy, uh, capital investment, whether that's yard and track capital or equipment, uh, and, and just making sure that all of that, uh, uh, all of that that is required to offer that sort of highly consistent, highly reliable service is under common control, as opposed to two business, two independent business partners, uh, requires an awful lot of, of trust for two independent companies uh, to do that, uh, to make those kinds of decisions and uh, uh, regarding the way we, we invest capital over a long period of time the way we operate the network. So I don't think there's any doubt that uh, being able to offer that type of service under the common control of a single entity versus two independent business partners is, uh, is, a, is a critical factor in being able to really go after that market and compete with the kind of uh, highly consistent and highly reliable service that's gonna be required. And then that ties in uh, again to something you we talked about earlier, which is the the other public benefits of, of that type of service and that opportunity, which tie into safety, tie into environment, uh, fuel emission. You know, we've been spending a lot of time, as you can imagine, with members of Congress and senators and lawmakers, and in almost every single uh, conversation. They, they are curious and very interested in the environmental impact. And that'll be a huge part of the merger application here. Uh, but uh, I think the benefits of rail versus truck, you understand that bill, most people do. You know, a lot of uh, members of Congress and lawmakers and, and other uh, people don't, don't understand it maybe as well as, as we would like them to. But uh, certainly that is that is one of the uh, advantages of, of this combination that we think will be very interesting to uh, to, to lawmakers and regulators uh, once we uh, have the opportunity to to, uh, to to articulate all of that in the environmental review portion of the merger application. In terms of your operating uh, philosophies or strategies, they're both uh, your own versions of uh, PSR, precision scheduled railroading, how closely aligned uh, would you say they are? I think KCS and CN was already culturally aligned how we 
go to market, how we deal with customers, how we want to, you know, we focus on growth. The fact that, uh, and, and, and Pat's team has made, has made huge progress in terms of how they operate as an operator, asset utilization, their cost efficiencies. Obviously, uh, culture, when you merge companies, are extremely important. And uh, you want to have a similar culture from a, from a diversity point of view, from a focus on, on people, focus on customer. And the way you operate also is important. And uh, I guess by choice, uh, Pat decided to hire some of the CN uh, retiree. Uh, he, he obviously uh, has some, see that some of the, what we've done here over the years is valuable. And I think it just, uh, it just, uh, um, it's almost like another way to prepare for a potential uh, approval for the STB. So by the time we get there, uh, there they, they will be already a number of things which will naturally will fit easier because of a, uh, the, the, the similar culture and operation as well as commercially and a, every other aspect of what uh, Kisi has been. And, that, and I said that many, many times, and let me say it again. Um, this is a merger or combination where CN is not only looking just for the asset of the KCS, not just for the geography and the book of business of customer that CS brings in, but also CN is looking for the talent, for the people at KCS, for what they know, for what they have, their 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 knowledge of the market, the knowledge of Mexico, their knowledge of operation, their innovation in the last many years to do what they did. And uh, we value that, we cherish that, and we want, we want, to, we want to create a melting pot of uh, the best of the best, uh, you know, one plus one equal three, uh, and not one plus one equal uh, one and a half. So, it, and, it's, and it's also a merger, which is really focused on riding the economy and the continent and being growth stories, not about uh, cutting job. It's about uh, making the company more productive and creating jobs uh, up and down the railroad, not just for us as railroaders, but also for those who are the potential user benefiter of, uh, of the network. And, you know, I could throw in another one here. Uh, you know, in, in the province of Quebec, we produce a lot of aluminum. And all that aluminum is uh, what we call blue aluminum uh, because it's made for electro hydroelectric power. Electricity is increasingly in demand toward manufacturer vehicle because it makes for vehicle which is lighter. And, uh, you know, in Mexico, so it, having a single line service that could do, go from the smelters of Northern Quebec to, uh, you know, the producer who makes parts made of aluminum in Mexico, uh, you know, will, will, innate, will create a new competition. In that case, it's source competition. It makes it easier for a producer who is produced aluminum for hydroelectric power in the Northern part of our network to compete with, with uh, aluminum coming from, from China, which is probably more like gray aluminum. It's made from electricity, made from uh, thermal coal, as well as the fact that uh, it's, it's another way of near sourcing, but in that case, it's a near sourcing within the continent. But all that to say that uh, when, when you start to really look at the positive of what we can do, and sometimes people do that, they focus on the negative, and there's so much focus on the negative, they forget exactly what is it gonna be building here. We, we are creating disruption. We, 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 we're doing something that's different, something that's bold, uh, but something that has the power to create a lot of good things. And, uh, and these things are easier to do when you have a cultural fit. Yeah, I would say uh, one of the, the things that I would remind you of, Bill, I think you know this, is when, when we sort of got interested in, and, uh, and embraced PSR, uh, you remember me talking about my my favorite catchphrase, 
service begets growth. Yes. We got into PSR because we wanted to understand what elements of PSR would help us improve consistency and reliability of service and get more capacity out of our network because we truly believe that we had growth opportunities uh, that we weren't able to handle. This goes back to 2018 uh, and, and that the, the, the focus was all about improving consistency and reliability. It wasn't a singular focus on improving operating ratio, even from the very beginning. And so uh, the thing that I have really appreciated about Sammy coming on first, uh, and then Manny, who uh, Manny Lareo, who's our actually now our chief engineer, and then John Orr, who you know very well from uh, from a number of, re- of sources, is that those guys were involved in PSR at the very beginning before PSR was a brand. If you remember, go back mm-hmm. to to CN at the beginning when PSR was really just doing smart things to get better. Uh, get asset uh, improved asset efficiency, and uh, and and before PSR became um, uh, a brand that was unfortunately you know uh, perceived or the reality of uh, of this singular focus on driving operating ratio down, and so that was uh, I think a a, a, a a part of our strategy uh, and and bringing people in who were at CN at the time that PSR really first uh, evolved and before it became a brand uh, that it is today. And uh, and again, focused on improving service and improving consistency and reliability, improving resiliency of the network. And really at the bottom of that is all about growth. So I think we do have uh, a very common uh, philosophy that will be very helpful uh, as we move forward and, and, and ultimately get approval to integrate the, the way we run this common network. But I think the other thing that uh, ties into cultural compatibility is, and you've seen this over the, the, the certainly the, the, the most recent uh, period of time under JJ's leadership, is CN is very focused on growth. Uh, and uh, in you know, there's a there's a high urgency of improving your operating ratio in an industry in a company where your operating ratio is in the high 80s or 90s, and and you consider the capital intensity of our industry and our companies. But as you as you make those improvements and you become more efficient, and your operating ratio is in the 60s or 50s, and you have growth opportunities and all of the things that we've talked about here with the economy, with nearshoring, with USMCA and with trends in supply chains, I think you've seen the whole industry and certainly CN was, was in my opinion, a leader in this, in, in, in this uh, trend is moving away from that focus on operating ratio and getting to growth in and growth in things like uh, operating income and cash flow and earnings per share and other things that uh, that become uh, over time more important than just a, that that kind of uh, overweighted focus or singular focus on operating ratio. So I think you know we've got a we've got a shared vision uh, with respect to uh, the the way that uh, that uh, has has shifted over time. 
And, uh, and we're certainly extremely focused on service and growth uh, as is CN. We've introduced uh, service metrics into our uh, management incentive uh, programs to uh, move in that direction so that, uh, that service is, uh, is, is really tied to our, our executive compensation, our management compensation. So I think uh, there, there are a number of areas there where you see uh, cultural compatibility that I think is going to make it uh, much, uh, much easier to, to get to the integration of these two companies and these two networks that will help accelerate the, uh, the benefits that, uh, that we see in, in combining our, our two companies. Pat Ottensmeyer and J.J. Ruest, I wanted to thank you uh, both. We'll be following uh, uh, the merger very closely as we have been doing as uh, things develop. Uh, thanks again for joining us and um, have a safe day. Thank you for doing thank that, you, Bill. Bill. Well, that's it for this special edition of Rail Group on Air. Thanks very much to Pat Ottensmeyer and J.J. Ruest. And special thank you to our sponsor, the Greenbrier Companies. Be sure to check out Virtual Sample Railcar, VSR, winner of the Canadian Association of Railway Suppliers 2020 Innovation Award at go.gbrx.com forward slash virtual. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Have a safe day. Mm-hmm.